This morning we're going to be looking at First Peter, uh, chapter three, verses one through six, and uh, it's always it's always uh, a joy and an honor to be able to, to come up here on a Sunday morning and to share the the word with you guys. And um, and I usually share what we've been learning in the college ministry and the youth ministry because these are the things that not only has the Lord just been pressing on my heart and and and. Uh, refining my life, but it also gives you uh, an opportunity to see, you know, what the the students are are learning and what we're going through. And the Word of God uh, is always edifying and sanctifying, no matter where we're at. And so we're going to dive right into the middle of First Peter here today, First Peter three one through six, and uh, and I think this will be, I pray this will be a blessing for all of us as the church. Uh, we're in the portion of the letter where Peter is exhorting the recipients of this letter to be submissive while under intense suffering. And like I said, we're just going to dive right into the middle of all this. The more and more that we've been studying submissiveness uh, and fighting to be more submissive in the youth and the college group, I began to understand more and more that this may be the most fundamental or foundational characteristic of a Christian. Being submissive while suffering defines our Lord Jesus Christ Suffering submission must also define us if we are followers of him and children of God. And so I'm praying this morning that this will be uh, a blessing for all of us. And, and I know that the Lord will use his word to do his work, and he does that perfectly every time. But I'm telling you, there is a joy and a peace that comes with submission to our Father's will and submission to others that cannot be found in any other way. And this is very, very important. Now, real quick context, First Peter is written to Christians who are suffering in all different areas of life, in society, at work, in the family, even with others in the church. And suffering will happen in the life of the Christian. Our Lord warned us and instructed us of this before he ascended to heaven. He also said that we're blessed if we're persecuted, blessed if we're slandered and insulted and mocked. He said it's part of our existence And this should be part of our expectation as Christians in this present age. It's also purposed by God for our sanctification, which is a huge, huge thing. And what we have to know is not if we will suffer or when we will suffer, but how do we live for the glory of Jesus Christ and how do we please God while we suffer in this present life? How do we walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ while suffering? How do we imitate God and imitate Christ while suffering? How do we bless God when suffering? This is what we want to look at today. And Lord willing, it'll help instruct all of us wherever we're at in life and whatever trials and circumstances we're walking through. That's what this letter is all about. Peter starts the letter out saying, rejoice with inexpressible joy while you suffer because you know that this will prove the faith that God has implanted in you. This will give you assurance. This will cause you to become more like Christ. This will testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. And this will result in the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns. To suffer like Christ, Peter says, this is our purpose. This is our calling. This is why we're here. And we must trust our merciful, loving, sovereign, compassionate Father and trust the ways he accomplishes his perfect will. 
And, and that's what Peter says here. He says, if you look at uh, uh, verses 21 through 25 in chapter 2, right before this, Jesus Christ is our example of submissive suffering and trusting his Father. He says, you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And then at the end of this section, in chapter four, verses one and two, you see Peter then call these believers to suffer in the same way. He says, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, so we just looked at that and we looked at all these examples, he says, you arm yourself also with the same purpose. It means prepare yourself, get ready. This is your purpose and this is what is coming. He says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. Christ's submission in suffering was an outward demonstration of his faith and his trust in his father. He didn't fight back because he trusted his father's judgment and he didn't defend himself because he trusted his father's word and will. And he was submissive to his father and to the unrighteous judgment of wicked men to the point of death because he entrusted himself to his father. And submission is the d- demonstration of faith and submission is evidence and proof that we trust God. That's what submission is. It's proof that we believe his words. It's proof that we have a fixed assurance that he will be faithful to accomplish exactly what he says he is accomplishing. And our active submission, all of us, all of the children of God, is how our Father accomplishes his, his will of saving his children, calling them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our submissive obedience during times of intense suffering becomes a beacon of light that will attract the eyes of the children of God and draw them to their guardian and shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is why we rejoice in suffering because there is something great going on that our Father is in full control of and he will be faithful to save and we must be faithful to obey. And so, today we're going to look at what does it look like to submit during suffering? And what is the secret of, submiss- of, of submissive suffering? Right before this section that we're going to look at in chapters 2, and then all the way through chapter 3, honestly, you see uh, Peter talk about all kinds of different walks of life and, and, and what our calling is uh, in, these, in these different places. In life in general, he says in verse, or chapter 2, verse 12, that we are to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, or keep your behavior excellent, excellent amongst unbelievers. Why? So that, purpose clause, that he might, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, your behavior and the way that you conduct yourself and live your life around unbelievers will be used by God to save some of those unbelievers who are actually his children. And your character and your example and your behavior will will be the thing that God uses to draw them out of the darkness and to himself. He goes on to say in verse 13, in civil society, 
where we live, he says, submit yourself to every human institution. Why? Because this is the will of God. Why? He says, because it is right. Why? Because he says, it will silence the fools who don't know right from wrong. Submission is powerful. And it's an instrument that God uses for our sanctification and for the salvation of his children. He goes on in in verses 15 through 17 to say, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We honor others. We submit to others. We subject ourselves to others purposefully for our good, for his glory, and for the salvation of his children who aren't his quite yet. That's why we do it. That's what he says. In the workplace, in, in verses 18 through 20, he says, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Why do we submit to our employers? He says, so you don't destroy your conscience. Why? Because it is right. Why? Because it pleases God. That's why we are submissive in the workplace. And then he points, like we already said, to Jesus Christ as the archetype, the precedent, the perfect authoritative example of submission. He is the one that we look to and he is the one we imitate. And he says that we've been called for this purpose, to imitate Christ while we suffer, entrusting ourselves to our Father, not defending ourselves, doing what is right with no fear. And that's how we are to live our lives. And submission is a testimony of our love and trust in him. Then he goes on to talk about the family, which is what we're going to look at today. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, he says, Wives, be submissive to your unbelieving husbands. Why? To win their souls. Husbands, love and honor your wife. Why? Because if you don't, you will hinder your communion with God. And then he talks about the church in in verses 8 and 9. To sum it all up, he says, all of you, all of us, all of the children of God, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. And then he says it again, you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. This is our purpose. This is our call. This is what we are. If you are a child of God, one of the things that you will be defined by is submissiveness. All the children of God are submissive. It's part of what makes us children of God. And it's part of the fruit of the spirit working within us. So today we're going to briefly look at submission in the family in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And we're specifically going to look at wives submitting to husbands who are unbelieving and disobedient. And this is intense suffering, guys. And we can all learn from the instruction here today, and we can all learn from the example of holy women who are walking through this type of suffering. All of our families have sin. You know that right now. All of our families have sin. Many of our families have deep sin issues. Apostasy, hypocrisy, immorality, drunkenness, laziness, lying, deceitfulness, anger, jealousy, envy, lust, sin. It's in all of our families. Some of our families end up physically broken up as a result of sin. We have divorce, abandonment, separation, disunity, unbelief, self-righteous divisions. It's easy to say this shouldn't happen, but it does happen. So when there is sin and suffering in our families, especially within the marriage relationship, then what do we do? How do we walk in a manner worthy of Christ and how do we glorify him and how do we imitate him while walking through this kind of suffering? Peter doesn't disclose exactly 
what is happening in the family. But obviously there is suffering within the marriages and the families that he is writing to because he addresses it here in the letter. And with wives, he specifically addresses how they are to imitate Jesus Christ when their husbands are willingly living in disobedient unbelief. I already said it once, but just make sure to note that just because you're not a wife living with an unbelieving husband currently, that this isn't for you or this isn't important for you. Through this instruction for wives to live holy lives, I believe we all get a glimpse into the inner workings of submission and the demonstration of what true faith looks like for any believer. And you'll see the beauty and wisdom of humility, meekness, patience, submission, gentleness, honor, silence, and holiness, all of which describe the nature and character of Jesus Christ and all of which describe the nature of every one of his children. This is for all of us. And this is what our nature should look like. So listen, because there is gold in these verses. Now within a marriage, there is an intimacy like no other relationship outside of our oneness with Jesus Christ. And to insert sin into the marriage in a way that causes your spouse to insult you, to revile you, to mock you, to stand against you, is a deeper suffering than any other broken human relationship. And when your spouse is your enemy, that is unparalleled suffering. And that requires unparalleled submission. So we're going to look at three reasons why we must be submissive during intense suffering. This is our purpose. This is our call. This is what we do. And the first thing we're going to look at today is that our submission in suffering proves the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our submission in suffering proves the gospel. Look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Peter says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Peter starts out by saying wives in the same way, which is a pointing back to what we just looked at in the immediate context. He's saying in the same way that Christ suffered, in the same way he lived his life, in the same way that we've called employees and we've called all citizens to submit to authority and to submit to those that God has placed over them, in the same way, You submit to your unbelieving husbands. Now, I think a good thing to look at here is the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of marriage. When you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's easy to connect that to marriage terms because the Bible does it. The Bible does it over and over. We are the church. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And we will be wed to Christ in the marriage of the Lamb before his glorious return in Revelation 19. But we were all, at one time, enslaved and governed by sin, living for our own desires, living according to our lusts, and living for our own glory, every one of us. We were children of wrath. We were enemies of Christ. We were striving against him actively and willfully, mocking, insulting and living in disobedient unbelief. And he, Jesus Christ, submitted himself to his Father's will and to our unjust, unrighteous condemnation of him 
willingly taking our sins upon himself, willingly bearing our burdens on the cross, and enduring the full wrath of his own father for the sins of his bride. That was his nature. And that is how he demonstrated his love for us. And he laid down his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be made alive, so that we could be saved, so that we could be one. And his submissive, silent suffering became the salvation of his bride. And it is a demonstration of his everlasting and unyielding love. When a wife lives with an unbelieving, disobedient husband with humble, submissive, quiet reverence and patience because she is more concerned about his soul than her own well-being, this becomes one of the greatest reflections of a sacrificial, submissive love that we see displayed through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that can be expressed in any other human relationship. It is a living demonstration of the gospel. Do you understand that? And it's beautiful. And it should inspire any of us to submit ourselves to his will and to submit ourselves to others. He tells wives here, be submissive. It's an implied imperative. It's a command. He, it means to place yourself underneath, to be obedient, to be subordinate, to willingly lay aside yourself in honor and love for someone else. Specifically here, your, dis, uh, your, your disobedient, unbelieving husband. And he says, you be submissive to those who are disobedient. He says some are disobedient to the word. And this is an ongoing verb. This is something that, this is an ongoing refusal to obey. This isn't like they sin once or they sin occasionally or they, they, they have sin that they fight. This is a husband who is willfully walking uh, continually in a refusal, a refusal to obey, a refusal to comply to what the Lord says, a refusal to believe what the Lord says in his word. It's willful disobedience. It's willful unbelief. It's the same thing that Jesus talks to, to Nicodemus about in John three thirty six when he says, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son, same word, same thing, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. A lack of obedience is evidence of a lack of belief. When someone walks in willful disobedience against the word of God, not submitting themselves to what he says, all they're proving is they do not believe that he is God, that he is judge, that he makes the standard because they do not submit to what he says. So why should wives be submissive to disobedient, unbelieving husbands? Well, he tells us. Here's a purpose clause. Here's exactly why this should happen. He says, so that through the conduct or the behavior of the wives, they, the disobedient husbands, may be one. They may be one. To win here is to gain them, to win them. And it's a future thing. They shall be one. They will be one. They might be one. You be obedient. You submit yourself to your father's instruction. You do what he says is right with all hope and prayer that they may be one to Jesus Christ. It's a trust. It's trusting that your father's will for the sake, it's trusting your father's will for the sake of your husband's soul. It's the same thing that Jesus uh, talks about in Matthew 18. When he says, if your brother sins, you go show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's why we go to our brother and talk to them about their sin. 
Because it's our full desire to win them back to submission, obedience, and love of Jesus Christ. It's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says, For though I am free from all men, I'm free from everyone. I have no earthly master in one sense. He says, but I have made myself a slave to all. Paul enslaved himself to others. He submitted himself to others, subjected himself to others. Why? Why did Paul do that? He says exactly why. So that I may win more. Paul enslaved himself to other people to win their souls. He enslaved himself to others in obedience to Christ. And he did it as a reflection of Jesus Christ because he watched he, or he heard of Christ doing this when he lived his life on earth. To enslave yourself to others is to submit to them, to su- subject yourself to them, is to put yourself underneath them, self-sacrificing yourself for their good. And he goes on to say, I've become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. That's what he was doing. That's what we do. We are to be submissive because our Lord will use our submission to save his children. He won't save all the world that way, but he will save all of his children. And he'll use our submissive example to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Then wives have this role in the marriage relationship to be a reflection of that submissive love that we see in Jesus Christ, that we see Paul express right here so that we can all look to their testimony, no matter who they're married to, and see an example of love and submission, honor, and reverence, but especially if your husband is an unbeliever. And look at what he says here. They will observe your behavior. They will observe your behavior. You're being observed. People are watching us. This is all of us. You know that, right? People are always watching you. You profess Christ, people are watching you, and they're judging you all the time. They're judging your character. They're judging your behavior. They're judging your actions And they're seeing if you line up with what you say you are. That's what people do. And they should. Because if we are children of God, then we should reflect his image. We should reflect his nature. A submissive person person reflects the nature and character of Jesus Christ. And a submissive person is quiet, respectful, and pure. That's what Peter says here. Wives, imitate Christ. Be submissive. Here's what submission looks like. He says, when your husband without a word, this is quietness, silence, it's restraining your tongue. You have a life that is characterized by restraint from what comes out of your mouth. You have self-control with your tongue. It's what we've been talking about in James 3. We just talked about it, right? The tongue is a powerful, deadly, restless evil. It is hellish in and of itself. And there is no virtue For any of us, there is no virtue in defending yourself while you defile and defame another person. That is never the character of a child of God, especially your spouse. But we treat it like entertainment sometimes, to sit around and to destroy our spouses with our tongues as if this is casual entertainment. The Lord hates that. It's repulsive to him. A submissive wife exhibits a strong, proficient restraint of her words. And it takes powerful self-control, powerful self-discipline, and powerful self-denial to have a submissive tongue. But we all must fight for that kind of submissiveness, that kind of quietness. That's how we need to live. 
He says submission is respectful and pure. Respectful means reverent, fearful, honoring. She honors her husband. She reveres her husband. In the same way we're to do that to all men. And and she's to be pure, chaste. It means holy, undefiled, innocent, free from sin. So that even if your husband mocks you and shames you and insults you, he will see your behavior and your character and he will know that it does not line up with the accusations he makes against you. And that's how we are to live our lives. All of us are to live our lives that way in front of unbelievers. But wives are an example of that. Now listen, for some, as you live that way in front of them, that will only intensify and increase their hatred of you. They mock you and they malign you and they slander you because they want vengeance and they hate you and you can't help that. And that might increase their hatred and you can't, you can't help that. But you know this because God says it. But for others, your quiet, reverent, pure behavior will open their eyes, crush their pride and save their souls. And every child of God in this room now is an example of that. Someone spoke the truth of the word of God and we saw that active in other people's lives and realized we were not what we thought we were or realized that we deserved the full wrath of God and realized that Jesus was the only way. It was words and it was examples and you all know that. That's how we come to him. That's what he does in this life. That's how he saves his children. He sends his children out. We speak his truth. We live lives that exemplify him and his children see those examples and hear those words, their ears are open and they come to him and they repent of their sins. And every single person in this room that is a child of God came to him, different circumstances, different people, different voices, same method. That's how we come to the Lord. This is for all of us. Our submissive behavior proves the gospel that we claim to believe. And the validity and the veracity of the gospel is demonstrated by the conduct of those who claim to believe it. Again, we just looked at that in James 2, right? We prove what we believe by how we live. And a lack of submission proves that we do not trust God or his character. A lack of submission proves that we do not believe his words. A lack of submission proves that we don't trust him. Don't you know that your father works all things together for our good? Don't you know that he does this for all those who love him? And all things are working together for our sanctification, for us to be made like Jesus Christ and towards our glorification that he will complete when we die. And, and, and all of that will culminate in the eternal glory of Jesus Christ and the eternal glory of God. That's why all this is happening. And that is what he is accomplishing through suffering every single time. He doesn't miss a mark He doesn't accidentally do anything. Nothing goes underneath his view. All of these things are working for for his glory and they're working for our glorification together with his son. So be submissive. Submission, humility, purity, honor, respect, meekness, they all demonstrate our belief and prove the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says, how a believer lives in this most intimate relationship, in the marriage relationship, helps make the grace of Christ believable. How you live with your spouse proves what you believe. Wives, be submissive to your unbelieving husband so that they may watch your life and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Secondly, our submission in suffering pleases our Father. It pleases our Father when we submit to him while suffering. Look at verse three and four. 
He says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. When we are submissive, we are showing reverence, trust, and love for our Father. Ultimately, our motivation and inspiration to honor others and submit ourselves to them is our desire to honor our Father and submit ourselves to Him. That is why we are submissive, because of our love and honor for Him. Submission comes from our desire to be holy as He is holy. Submission is how the children of God please their Father. It's the internal adornment of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 13, 14, when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a cool way to describe, to describe transformed character. Your adornment, he says, the word adornment here is the word cosmos. It means order. It means to decorate, to beautify, to arrange things in an orderly fashion so that they are attractive or beautiful or presentable or appealing. It's order. And he's saying your order must not be merely external. And it's a command. It can't just be the outside. It can't just be hair, jewelry, and clothing. Your unbelieving husband won't be one to Christ simply because you clean up the outside, especially if the inside is repulsive. Now, this isn't a condemnation or a denouncement of having external order, external beauty and attractiveness. Any spouse should desire to be attractive to their spouse. It's part of love. It's not virtuous to be disorderly outwardly, to be purposefully unattractive, to be purposefully repugnant and repulsive. How are you going to be the light of Jesus Christ if no one can stand to be in your proximity because you're rude, gross, and need a bath, right? But if you have inward order, if you're humble, kind, loving, submissive, and selfless, then that will play out externally, and you will dress and act in a way that is kind, loving, humble, selfless, and honoring. This is also a reminder that the internal thing is the main thing. The Pharisees were good at this. They, they would dress up the external while the internal was rotten and dead. Jesus called it hypocrisy. And even unbelievers can smell out a dirty hypocrite. It doesn't take Christian discernment to know hypocrisy, right? People are watching your life. And you can have all the external. You can dress the part. You can have the Christian religious credentials. You can do all that stuff. But if you're not merciful patient, kind, gentle, loving, gracious. If you're not submissive, then you're just another dirty hypocrite with a nice haircut, fancy clothes, a gold cross around your neck, but you're only an example of what not to be. The internal is what matters. Internal adornment. He says, wives and all of us, devote yourself, devote all of your efforts to making your character beautiful, your personality pleasing, your disposition attractive. You want to have spiritual virtue, spiritual integrity. And he calls it internal adornment that is the hidden person of the heart. It has imperishable quality. It is gentle and quiet. The hidden heart here, it means the real you, the secret inner self, the heart, the mind, the will, the core of who you are. No games, the real deal. It's what you actually are. And even if they don't believe the gospel, they will see your character and they will see that it reflects the submissive, self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ that you proclaim has transformed you into a new being and that will be attractive. Submission has, he says here, imperishable quality. It's incorruptible, it's heavenly, it's holy. It's Christ-like quality. And listen, we are imperishable children of God, the Bible says. And we are born of imperishable seed. 
And we have an imperishable reward waiting for us. So we should, by our new nature, have a growing, imperishable character now. It's part of what we are. We are not of this world, and we do not live like this world. We are immortal, imperishable beings, and we live by immortal, imperishable standards. And that should be obvious to everyone, especially to someone who is living with us, especially to someone who is married to us, in one flesh together with us. They should be the first to testify that we are of different quality. And what is within us is the most attractive and beautiful thing that they have ever seen. Submission, he says, is gentle. It means humble, meek, patient, self-controlled. Submission is quiet. It means restful, calm, peaceful, silent. This is the nature of Christ. And this is the nature of someone who knows Christ and trusts Christ. Submission is not weakness. It is strong, fearless, relentless confidence in Christ. It's driven by a conviction that his truth is more trustworthy than than our own understanding. And it results in self-control, self-restraint, and obedience, even while we face darkness, detriment, and death. That is what submission is. A submissive person is someone who believes God and trusts his love and trusts his word and trusts his power and trusts his promises enough not to fight back or to defend themselves. That is submission. And he says here, this is always, always precious, valued, cherished, treasured in the sight of God. Do you want to know what is the most beautiful, the most treasured, the most precious, the most valuable, the most loved thing by our Father? It is silent, humble, meek, submissive obedience because you trust him, because you love him, and because you fear him. In Isaiah 66 two, God says, my hand, my hand has made all of these things. Thus all these things came into being. But to this one I will look. Here's what catches the eye of God throughout his entire creation. He says to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you not want to be attractive in the sight of God? Don't you want his eye to catch you? That's what catches the eye of God. Humility, contrition, fear, obedience, submission. That's what he loves. That's what pleases him. This is the internal adornment of godly submission and it is always pleasing to our Father. Finally, our submission in suffering proves our faith. It proves our faith. Look at verse five and six. He says, for in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Listen, many people have walked before us in faith, right? We read stories of men and women in the Bible who believed God and trusted themselves to him and lived in ways that are unbelievable. We read Hebrews 11. There's a whole list of men and women who had faith, living faith. And it says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release. Why? So that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. They were of more worth than this world could ever afford them. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. We read biographies of men and women of God who have forsaken their own well-being and trusted themselves to their father and left everything behind to go be missionaries in foreign countries and things like that, all for the glory of God at their own loss of things in this world, right? We hear stories of contemporaries, people even within our own body here at Faith Community Church who practice deep faith while suffering and they become living examples for us to go to, to learn from, to imitate, But one of the characteristics you will find in every single one of these men and women of faith is meek, humble, dependent submission to Jesus Christ and obedience to every word he speaks. Submission proves our faith. He says here, in this way, formerly holy women hoped in God. That means past women of faith. Those who are women who have walked before you, who were of God, who were born of God, and who lived holy lives. And he says they hoped in God. Hope in the Bible is not how we talk about hope in our vernacular, where I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I really wish this might happen for my good. Does that make sense? Hope in the Bible is a fixed expectation based on what God has already proclaimed is set in stone. It is a fixed expectation, a fixed assurance, and it's built on trust in him. It's built on a trust in his word. And it is a fixed hope, an immovable assurance founded on truth. And you must have fixed hope to practice submission while you are suffering. If your hope is not fixed on Christ, it will be moved by your circumstances. We must fix our hope on Jesus Christ. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action. Get ready. Keep sober in spirit. Don't get, don't get drunk by the things of the world. Don't, don't get focused on these things. And then he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what drives us. We know what is coming. We know what he's going to do. We know we will be glorified together with him. We know he will rule and reign as king. We know he will be glorified. So let everything else, that argues against that go and fix your hope on Christ and run towards him. Be submissive. He says, formerly holy women adorned themselves with submission. There it is again. They ordered their life with submissiveness. They decorated themselves. They beautified themselves. They made themselves attractive by being submissive. And their faith in God, their trust in him, it manifests itself in active, obedient submissiveness. That's what made those women beautiful. That's the characteristic of every woman of faith who has walked before us to this point. They were submissive. And Sarah was an example. He says, she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. This is speaking of a pattern of her entire life. This is what Sarah was. She was submissive. She was meek. She was patient. She was reverent. She was a humble woman who honored her husband. And this is evidence of her faith and trust in God. Her submissiveness is proof that she was a child of, of God. And he says, and you have become her children if you do what is right. Being called chi- uh, a child of Sarah, it just means you have been born of the same imperishable seed as Sarah. You have the same faith as Sarah. You have the same new nature as Sarah. You have the same character as Sarah because you have the same spirit working within you that Sarah had. You're born again. So holy women 
live in submissive obedience because that is how all the holy women have lived. It's what Paul calls Christians uh, in Galatians 3 when he calls them children of Abraham. They have the same faith as Abraham. He says those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. A Christian wife who is married to an unbelieving, disobedient husband will prove herself to be a child of Sarah and prove her faith by being submissive. And this is the best prescription for the salvation of her husband's soul because it's God's instruction. Don't you trust him? Her submission to God's instruction will produce endurance for her and result in her being made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, just like we saw in James. And her submissive holy living as she fixes her hope on God will be a present pattern for all of the church to observe and to imitate. So he says, do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Always do what God says is right. Let nothing scare you. Let nothing stop you. Never, ever, ever say, I had no choice. I had to do it. I had to sin. You always have a choice. Choose to be submissive and obedient. That's for all of us. We must entrust ourselves to our faithful creator, our trustworthy father, our guardian, our shepherd, our Lord, our savior, Jesus Christ, by doing what is right. Last year, I read a biography of of John Patton. John Patton was a Scottish missionary who went to the uh, New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific to natives that were actually cannibals. They had eaten missionaries that had come before him. And his wife died three months after they arrived, and shortly after that, his son Peter died. He had to sleep on their graves to make sure that, uh, that they weren't dug up and eaten. But he kept preaching Christ. And his perseverance and his endurance became a testimony worldwide. Thousands of missionaries were inspired by him to go into the mission field to make disciples. And many missionaries came and joined him in the islands. And because of John Patton's faithfulness, nearly the entire island turned to Christ. There was even a, an article written up in the New York Times because of the transformation of this culture from cannibalism to not cannibalism. It didn't glorify Christ, but at least said these, these people have totally changed. Uh, and, and, and when they asked some of these uh, cannibals or, or former cannibals what it was that caused them to forsake their old life and turn to Christ, uh, one of them said, this is not an exact quote, but he said, we kept mistreating them and killing these missionaries and they just kept coming. It was their love and their persistence. It was their behavior. It was their example that caused the transformation of this entire people group. There ought to be a book written about the many faithful holy women who have walked before us. Women who as little girls dreamed of being married, having children, a house, a family where they were loved and honored and cherished only to find themselves grown and married to an unfaithful, stubborn, self-willed, disobedient, unbelieving husband. And rather than grumble and complain and gossip to other women about their unmet desires and their shattered dreams, their unjust, unfair, undeserved misery that they live through every day, these holy women lived in persistent, faithful love, submitting themselves in honor and reverence and gentleness and meekness and patience to their unfaithful, disobedient, unbelieving husband and with an unwavering hope that this was pleasing to their Lord and to their groom, Jesus Christ, and their internal endowment was the most powerful remedy that could save their, their husband's soul. By the holy women that have walked before us, we must live our lives this way. All of us, all of us, we must live quiet, pure, respectful, gentle, meek, submissive lives. We are slaves of Christ and slaves to others. And we live that way while we suffer. We are the bride of Christ. Submission proves the gospel. 
Submission proves our faith. Submission pleases our Father. This is not weakness and this is not cowardice. This is deep faith, profound trust, determined obedience to God. And our Father tells us that the most precious, valuable, beautiful, lovely attribute of his children is a humble, gentle, meek, quiet, patient, joyful, submissive heart. We've been called for this purpose. And this is how Peter ends the letter. In chapter five, he says, and after we've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. You know what that means? Your suffering's temporary and you will die and suffering will end and your Lord will make you perfect. And then he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We must stand firm. Suffering is temporary. It's only for a little while. It's our calling. It's our purpose. Suffer like Christ to be the light of Christ in this world and to be an example to others. We must be submissive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Your word and your ways and your will are always, always much more profound and perfect than our own understanding and our own estimation in life. Help us to be submissive to your truth. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust the way that you have prescribed for us to live even when we feel like it would only be detrimental to our life. Help us to get rid of all of our unbelief that causes us not to submit to you. Help us to get rid of the lack of faith that we all have that causes us not to be submissive. Help us to trust you. Lord, we need your strength. We are dependent upon you and your spirit and your word for direction, uh, for power, uh, and, and, and to be able to be persistent, Father, and, and we all need your help. And Father, help us to come alongside women in our church that are living in situations like this to encourage them, to, to love them, to come alongside them, to help them to press on in submissiveness and reverence and quietness and honor. Lord, we just thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who submitted himself to you for our well-being, for our good, for our salvation, to win our souls. And we pray that you would help us to live in a way that glorifies him, that honors him, that imitates him for, for the sake of others and for your glory. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.